0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your
1: first three orders while supplies last.
0: Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: It is Saturday, January 13th. I haven't been here for a while. It's great to see you, Jonathan Lowe. Happy New Year. I haven't even been here all New Year. Happy 2018 to you. Well, it's getting off to a little bit of a rocky start at our household and everybody's going to be okay, but, you know, I, and my husband had an accident on the ice, and I know that a lot of people have been through this, in in this wonderful place that we live in, there are a couple of slippery spots, literally, and he wiped out on the ice and did a real number on his knee, and has been hospitalized since Thursday night, and so it's kind of been tough, because, you know, you sort of have all the things that One person does in the household, and then all the things that the other person does in the household, like the new puppy that we got for Christmas is a very strong puppy. Mm -hmm. Wiped out the dog door, so I dashed over before I came over here to get a new dog door. Which I am probably the least handy person ever. You know, just in terms of putting stuff together, even sewing, I'm not I'm not good at that. But just you know, installing a dog door or I I would like to uh, counteract that by saying, uh,
0: you haven't met me.
1: Okay. But you know something? I mean, my husband's so good at all that kind of stuff, I think it reinforces that I'm not. So I'm going to have to step up to the plate with the kids and figure out how to install a dog door. So anyway, but I know an awful lot of people uh, are – You know, really, it makes you think because he's he's had surgery. The people at Methodist Hospital, Dr. England, the surgeon, they were just they've been wonderful. They really haven't. Although I will tell you this, the emergency room at Methodist was a little rough on Thursday, and it wasn't just people slipping and falling, you know, and, and wiping out on ice. It was the flu. Local emergency rooms ha- are just being decimated by that. So that was kind of rough. But really the people at, at Methodist Hospital have been just wonderful to him. Um, but it's going to be kind of a long haul. I'm losing my train of thought mm-hmm. here. But I, I do want to thank him. I also want to really thank the police officer because he called me and I was at work in the midst of you know two stories as usual. And he goes, I'm really hurt. And I, this is not somebody who says that. And I said, where are you? He goes, I'm lying on the garage floor. And I'm like, oh. And so I raced home, but I called 911 because he's a bigger guy. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to help myself. And the uh, Golden Valley police officer was already there when I got there. She was wonderful. The North Memorial paramedics were wonderful. They actually had to salt our driveway because they couldn't get up and get the ambulance up to to get him. So uh, really the first responders – I don't use you guys a lot, but gosh, you know they were just really terrific and um, cracking jokes when it was appropriate. I just, I really, I can't say enough for how how great they were and how great everybody has been. And the nurses are just awesome. And anyway, folks, I just uh, I'm lucky because it's he's going to be okay. It's going to be kind of a long haul. It's going to yes, it's going to be inconvenient, but so many of you out there have to, have had to deal with so much worse. So I am thinking of you. Praying for all of you, and we'll get through it, and the Vikings will win. There you go. All right, folks, we've got a great show, uh, Esme Murphy along with Jonathan Lowe. We're going to talk fun here, the St. Paul Festival and Heritage Foundation Winter Carnival here. Hey, there's more than just the Vikes, more than just football going on. And then later on in this hour, we're going to talk with Jane Kirkley. She, I really, really like her and her perspective about this new book, Fire and Fury, which I did read. Uh, the book on the Trump uh, White House. So a lot going on. Keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hey, it's Esme Murphy.
1: Two degrees, folks. Uh, great to be back in the studio with my friend Jonathan Lowe. I feel like I haven't seen you forever. Uh, and it,
0: yeah, no, it's you're, it's been you're a long ima- time. You're well, not imagining.
1: Well, I because you know I did get we did get preempted for uh, obviously the Timberwolves who are just smoking hot. I mean, it's been the Timberwolves. It's been Christmas, it's right? And been, I took Christmas you know, off. New and, Year's, and it yeah, anyway, it's been a while. So it's it's great to be back. Hey, listen. There's so much fun, so much exciting stuff going on. Heard uh, Eric Nelson talking about all of the events, you know, some of the events surrounding uh, Super Bowl with Wayne Kostrowski and the Founders Breakfast and, you know, Taste of the NFL. And obviously it's going to be the Super Bowl Live and Super Bowl Experience. Hey, St. Paul's got its thing, too. Don't forget the St. Paul Winter Carnival, which is actually really hyped up this year in part because of all the events going on with the Super Bowl. Deb Schaber is joining us. Hey, Deb, how are you? Deb, how are you? Fine. Okay, so the kickoff for the St. Paul Winter Carnival, the coolest celebration on earth, January 25th through February 10th. Tell us what is, uh, and obviously you've got the Ice Palace. Tell us about the Ice Palace because I heard a little bit about that. It sounds like it's going to be so cool.
2: Yeah, we're building uh, hopefully a seven-story, 70-feet-tall ice palace in Rice Park. It's about 50% done already, Um, and we've had some great support from Park Construction, the local St. Paul and Minnesota unions, and uh, it's going to be
1: spectacular. Awesome. So cool. And the last time I think anything like this was done, what didn't have to do with the NHL, was it the All-Star Game? Yep, the
2: last ice palace. palace we built was in 2004 for the NHL All-Star Game in St. Paul, right across from Excel Energy Center.
1: Right. And I remember going to that and my kids were so little and it was so cold and they were just, we've got pictures somewhere and it's just as if my husband's just holding blankets, like just a blanket. (laughs) It's just wrapped up. They were just, I don't even know how they they even move, but it's so cool and so beautiful. Uh, And I know you're actually asking for some of the public's help in that, aren't you?
2: Yep, we are looking for the community to help us buy ice blocks, and that starts at $25 and goes up from there, and you'll get a commemorative certificate and your name listed at the palace as a contributor.
1: Well, that's kind of cool. Can, can you still do that? Yep, it's available
2: at wintercarnival.com, and you can go see all the different levels that are available.
1: Wow, okay. Now, obviously, are, are you counting on a lot more people visiting because of the Super Bowl?
2: Um, we are, and I think just the essence of having the ice palace too will bring more of the local community as well.
1: Very cool, and then also um, I, I know that that, that are looking at, at sort of you know a number of different things. Let me ask you about. I, I had a, a friend um, whose wife asked me about uh, maybe doing some kind of surprise party maybe the week before the Super Bowl, and it would involve people from St. Paul and Minneapolis getting together somewhere in between. And I thought. This is going to be a tough week. Um, how are you going to handle, like, the traffic and parking and all that? Are there extra, uh, you know, efforts being made there?
2: Yeah, we are definitely working with the City of St. Paul as well as Visit St. Paul um, to work on parking. Uh, the St. Paul PD has been great on um, being a very great partner in terms of traffic. I know um, the city is going to be putting up road closure maps on their website, and we'll tag those in as well. Um you know, traffic will run pretty smoothly. You know, the ins and outs, and um, there's plenty of parking in Saint Paul as well.
1: Okay, tell us about because you know I think a lot of people think about the medallion hunt or maybe you know that that uh, parade, but but tell us about some of the events that are going on because there really is a whole spectrum of events.
2: Yeah, so we have three um, main parades. We kick off Thursday night, our opening night, January 25th, with a Moon Glow Parade. And that we actually ask the pedestrians and public to come walk in the parade with us, which is fun. And then Saturday, January 27th, is our Grand Day Parade. And that starts um, the Smith Avenue Bridge and comes down West 7th Street. And then Saturday, February 10th, is our Vulcan Torchlight Parade. And that starts over by CHS Field and comes through downtown on 5th Street. So that's exciting. We also have the Vulcan Snow Park at the State Fairgrounds. With uh, a giant snow slide, um, snow sculptures, and they're doing an actual snow ice palace as well this year, um, as well as special Olympics jumps and whatnot. And then okay, so that's going to be that's going to be at
1: the fairgrounds.
2: Yep, that's at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds.
1: Um, and, and and so as is that always an event?
2: Yep, that's always been an event for us for many many years.
1: Okay. And, and again, tell us about what's going to be going on at the fairgrounds, like the, the, the spectrum of events there.
2: Sure. So they have a giant snow slide that you can ride down. They also have uh, two polar plunges for Special Olympics. New this year, they have bar stool ski races and lawnmower races. So that's kind of fun. And then
1: there's snow sculpting
2: competitions. You can go see all the different snow sculptures there as well.
1: Wow. Okay. Now the Rice Park uh, Ice Palace, that's like right on by the Mississippi, right?
2: Uh, Rice Park is located in the heart of downtown. Right oh, that's right. St. Of
1: course, hotel of course, right by the St. Park Paul Hotel. Yep. okay but of course. Yep. I'm I'm sorry, St. Paul folks. I'm not that <laughs> illiterate in St. The ways of St. Paul. That's going to be because first of all, that's that's really such a pretty spot anyway in the winter, uh, with the lights and you know that that hotel and the theater. It, it just yep. a lot of energy there.
2: Yep. So the ice palace will be on the south side of the park, and then we will have some other winter carnival activities, including live music every night on a stage, um, and ice sculptures and vendors to view as well.
1: Other uh, obviously, obviously the uh, ice palace is something that is different, uh, and partly because of the Super Bowl. What are is there anything else that's noticeably different, or larger, or more amped up, or something new that you're starting? Yes,
2: yeah, so we're bringing in a couple of new events this year. The Saint pa- or the United States Olympic Committee is coming on February third. They're bringing a bobsled, some curling, a s'mores mobile, um, and then some Olympic athletes. So that'll be fun. Um, we're working. And, and where on, are they going to be? They're going to be on Fourth Street, right um, on the heart of Rice Park. Oh wow! Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, we are also working on an event called Hot Time in the Park, where we're going to be inflating three hot air balloons, as well as having other hot air balloon baskets. Um, and then turning the palace red that night.
1: Wow. Okay. Now, crashed ice. I know that that's not the, that's a separate event, but that's going on at about at the same time, right?
2: Crashed ice actually happens next weekend. So oh, right next weekend. Okay.
1: Yep. Wow. So it's it's just it just keeps going. <laughs> right. St. Paul has that's, a lot going on this year. Right. What would you like people to know? Do you have any tips for people? Because I, it just. I know a lot of people really want to take advantage of all these cool things that are going on throughout our community. And it just sounds like such a special time, especially for kids and, you know, especially to see the Ice Palace, which is something that, you know, we won't see, you know, there probably won't be one next year. Do you have any suggestions on how to get around or how to get to St. Paul or parking, that kind of thing?
2: Um, We'll definitely come to wintercarnival.com. We'll have information on parking and directions on how to get to Rice Park and the state fairgrounds. Um, The Green Line is always a great option. So if you're coming from an area where the Green Line is, take that in. Rice Park's a block away from the Green Line stop. Um, And then Visit St. Paul also has a website, Paul Backslash SB52, where they're hosting all of their Super Bowl activities that are happening in St. Paul. And we'll provide more information on um, getting around and what else is going on. Okay.
1: And you also have all the things like the, the ice carving competition. The, 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 I mean, those, those, that always blows me away. Yep. We,
2: ice carving competition will happen the 26th and 27th of January, our first weekend. Okay.
1: And you still have, of course, the medallion hunt.
2: Yep. The medallion hunt starts next weekend, and that's uh, presented by the Pioneer Press.
1: All right. Because that's one of my favorite things. And the royalty coronation and all, all of those fun things as well. Yep, um, and then
2: an ice bar, live music every night.
1: Oh, what's what is an ice bar?
2: Ice bar uh, for beer, wine,
1: soda. Oh, so you're 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 outside, and the bar is ice. Yep. Oh, really? <laughs> well, that <laughs> that would be an ice bar. And where is that going to be? We
2: have three ice bars in Rice Park.
1: Really? Okay, yes. and, and so you could yeah. enjoy. And now, can you go into? Let me ask you about the uh, ice castle. Can you go inside it?
2: Uh, you cannot, but you can walk around it, and there's several photo opportunities. We'll have thrones you can sit on and whatnot.
1: Well, that sounds very cool. So that all opens uh, the 25th.
2: Yep, we'll have our official lighting of the Palace at 7 o'clock on the 25th.
1: Well, that sounds so cool. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us and giving us a heads up on that. Yeah, thank you. Okay, all right. I, I can't wait to see the Ice Palace. I remember vaguely the Ice Palace from 1992, and that was pretty spectacular. I think it was down on Harriet Island, and I didn't, um, I didn't really get that close to it. I just saw it from a distance. The event that I was assigned to, and I did hear Eric Nelson talking with Wayne Kostrowski, I was pretty new, and the, you know, the Ice Palace—that was something that was really cool and high profile. So, of course, you know, they sent uh, Colin Needles and Don Shelby there, and. You know, all all the really fancy people. So I was assigned to to the events that were kind of new and, you know, people thought, "Eh," you know, it's not going to be that big a deal and it's kind of a weird idea. And one of those events was the taste of the NFL because it was brand new. And I remember being told that, oh, go cover this event. We don't really understand it. Uh, The Buffalo Bills and the Washington Redskins will be cooking for everybody. So the assignment just had it all wrong, that that the players would be cooking. So it was all these you know, fancy chefs. It was such a neat event, and I do think that Wayne Kostrowski and the whole team there from 1992 really was so innovative. The other thing that was new in 1992, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, and I guess it's super amped up now – was the – I think they called it the NFL experience then and that was at the convention center. That was new too. So that Super Bowl really was one that was very innovative and I also – the expectations for the experience for fans were so low because no one wanted to come to Minnesota in the cold and it turned out to be a huge success. I remember it was on the warmer side, mid-30s and – they were concerned about the ice palace melting a little bit. But anyway, it went off beautifully. It wasn't too cold. It was sort of a winter wonderland, and people really got excited about it, and it got great national coverage. I was talking to one of our reporters who had been to the Super Bowl host committee, and by the way, those folks are doing a great job, Maureen Bausch and that crew, really uh, classy, professional, accessible group. I mean, I really do think that they're on, on par for really doing a great job, and um, they apparently told one of our reporters that their ideal weather, their ideal weather would be no wind and high 20s. So when you think about that, that would be perfect because the ice palace won't melt. And maybe a little light snow, a dusting. Not not, not anything that clogs things up, but just kind of that, that pretty wintry feel because they have all of these things that, that are outdoors that are celebrating the winter and the north. So – we can only pray. <laughs> I mean, this would be a little chilly here, but you know, people always have a place to go inside. Now, tomorrow, the big game, that's at 3.48, right? Or 3.40 or something like that, Jonathan? Uh, the big 3.40 game? is the
0: kickoff.
1: 3.40 is the kickoff. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. Well, I wonder what the tickets are like that are going for. I mean, I, I heard that it was a bargain if you could get a $4,000 ticket to the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, I could see that. And that that would be like considered a really good price. I'm like, yeah. no.
0: <laughs> well, here's, again, this is what I bring up. Every time this, this event comes around, we have someone that has done this the past few years. Hammer. Ask Hammer. Because he's gotten into, I know he's gotten into at least two of the Super Bowls in the last four years. I want to say it's more like he's gotten into three of them. Well, Eric Nelson always covers them. I mean, I think he's ever – and and, and that's why I wouldn't ask Eric because he's media. He's media, okay. But 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 but.
1: Hammer – and actually, you know, I'm filling in for John Hines next Friday. So – and I bet Hammer will be doing – No, because he works nights now. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, maybe we can get him to call in. But so he actually managed – because I know he's a huge Seattle fan, and he actually, I think, went out there. And I don't know if he scored a ticket there. He
0: he went to – he's been to the last four – locations where the Super Bowl has been. New York, Phoenix, uh, San Francisco, and Houston.
1: And what did he, he do? Just arrive saying, hi, I'm Hammer. <laughs> I, I want I to <laughs> give me a ticket? I mean... No, I, he.
0: he... I know uh, In the new, for the New York one, because that was the first time the Seahawks had, had been... Second time, first time since '06, I want to say. But this was the first time that they had been in a long while. And Hammer was going to go. He was determined to go. I don't know so why. He, I mean,
1: he's the nicest man... You're listening. I really like you, but I don't understand why you're a Seattle fan.
0: <laughs> Just saying, you know, you're a Minnesota guy. Uh, he's actually a Wisconsin guy. Uh, he's from Antigo. But that's that's hold that against him. That's, 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 that's beside the point. But, no, he was determined to get into that game, and he got into the game. He bought a ticket to the game, and I believe he bought a ticket to the next Super Bowl because, again, Seattle was playing. They were going for a repeat, and they lost because right. they didn't hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch at the one-yard line and, with yeah. you know 30 seconds to play. Yeah. Uh he but he he has been to San Francisco and Houston. I think he got a ticket to the San Francisco one with Denver and Carolina. I don't know if he got one to last year's Super Bowl with New England and New England and Atlanta. Okay. Well maybe, but I know I know he's been to at least two and it, I believe he's been to at least three of the last four.
1: Well, wow. I mean, I wonder if he has any tips for I mean, I I am not <laughs> I I've got a husband who's we got medical bills, we have got Got into college next year. My kids, I'm like, no, but but it would be cool just to go to one. And I do think I've got a media credential, but I think I've got the media credential for like the Super Bowl Live, you know, yeah. or the or the experience. Right. I get it. I am not a sports reporter. I, you know, although it would be really cool if I. Could I mean, just get in. I don't know
0: why you wouldn't. You, they they're going to have about five thousand credentialed media there,
1: right? Why so, not me? <laughs> yeah, why not? All right. Well, listen, it, it is it is really cool, but I I would like to see maybe we can maybe I'll pencil it in note, note to me, note to self, see if we can see if we can see if we can get hammer on the show. That's a tough a tough book there for Dan Cook to, to talk about how he gets these tickets because they've got to be pricey. I mean, I, even even a single ticket is.
0: Oh, it's gonna yeah, I, it's gonna be hopefully second market. It's if you're trying to do something face up, you're gonna pay a pretty penny for it. Absolutely, you are. Right. Right. If you're going to if you're going to go face value, you're at least looking at I would think four digits. And that might, and that's probably four digits for nosebleeds, especially this late.
1: Really? Yes. Oh, absolutely. You know, the TV does a really good job of covering it. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Esme Murphy, Jonathan Lowe, great to be back with you. Hey, we're going to take a break. We're going to give you some weather because weather is important, folks. <laughs> and uh, I think it is going to it is going to get a little warmer later on in the week. And then we're going to talk with Jane Kirkley, a one I, I admire very much. She's a professor at the School of Journalism and Mass Communication at the Civil Center. Uh, about the new book, uh, Fire and Fury, I have read it, and it's riveting. It's, it really is. It's riveting. There are a lot of questions, though, I have about it. Um, entire passages that of direct conversation where – it's not clear where these quotes are coming from. So we want to talk to her about that. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. When we come back, we'll give you some weather. It is two degrees outside, but it is warm and toasty in the studio. As May Murphy here, along with Jonathan Lowe. Well, the fury or the furore over the book Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House continues. Michael Wolff's book continuing to result in a lot of controversy. The White House, of course, strongly denying uh, a lot of the more sensational claims, the sensational passages in the book. Uh, Jane Kirtley is with the School of Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Minnesota Law School. She is actually the Silla Professor of Media Ethics and Law. She's also a professor at the Law School. And I really was curious, uh, Professor Kirtley, about your take on this book, and you are dealing with young journalism students all all the time. I'm sure they've got a lot of questions. What do you tell them, and what do you think?
3: Well, what do I think?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and thank you for coming on. Well,
3: thank you, and Happy New Year is. Yes. You know, I've got to say that this is not what I would – hold up as a shining example of what investigative journalism is supposed to be about. Um, you may remember, and some of your listeners may remember, back in the 80s and 90s, uh, Kitty Kelly did a lot of tell-all, unauthorized biographies right. of various people, including Frank Sinatra and others. And this sort of reminds me of that, um, which is to say that it's not that they don't necessarily make revelations that are newsworthy and that are legitimate matters of public interest, but their methodology is questionable. And, you know, uh, Wolf himself has acknowledged that there are some mistakes in the book, uh, maybe because it was rushed publication, you know, I maybe just because he's sloppy, I don't know.
1: There are typos. And, I mean,
3: yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, typos in and of themselves don't disturb me as much as some of the factual errors. But the point is that in an era of accusations of fake news flying thick and fast, the last thing anybody needs in... Uh, the journalism world is having a book come out that the author himself admits has mistakes in it because it just plays right in the hands of those who say, you know, the whole thing is is fabricated. There are also issues about how he supported the, the story. Yes. Um you know, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the idea that, that uh the people in the Trump administration are inexperienced and didn't realize what he was doing. I mean if 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 you know if you're elected president and you hire people to be in the White House, they should be assumed to have that level of knowledge. But having said that, I, I think when you put all of these issues together, and it goes back to this old question of is it the story you report or the way you gathered the story? And I think the story is clearly the most important thing. But if there are ethical or legal problems with the way you got the story in the first place, that makes it easier to challenge it.
1: Right. And, and you know, the president, of course, has denied that he ever spoke to Mr. Wolfen uh, yes. <laughs> But, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House Press Secretary, said that he did. There are numerous people that uh, – Saw him many many times at the white House, and it's one of the um there's so many things about the book that that really are fascinating, but it's it's not clear look there are entire passages where it's there are quotes. And it's not clear where how he's getting the quotes.
3: Well, and they're quotes and quotes. I mean, quotes of quotes, and he has a lot of unattributed uh, information in there. Um, and you know, we, you and I have talked about this before that that. It certainly can be legitimate to rely on sources whose identity you keep confidential, but the more that's done, especially somebody who doesn't have really a proven track record of credibility, the easier it is for the people that are being reported on to deny that this is truthful, to say that the whole thing was fabricated, so Again, I'm not condemning the use of anonymous sources across the board. I'm just saying that this is another thing that adds into this whole issue of how credible this book really can be.
1: Right. Um, and it is, you know, I guess one of the, 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 the one of the sources that uh, – and this has gotten really perhaps the most attention – is Steve Bannon. Yes. Uh, who now has been bounced out of Breitbart uh, in large part because of this book. He'd been fired from the White House – it is It is very clear that Steve Bannon was a major source for this book.
3: It, it certainly seems to be the case. And, you know, a part of this is sort of the palace intrigue that surrounds the White House and this whole sense of, uh, you know, everybody's at each other's throats. And Wolf's book seems to, um, you know... Uh, verify that that's the case, that it's not just what it appears to be on the on the outside. And I guess that's the other issue about this book, which is that I've seen comments online, and I'm sure you have too, from people who have said he's really not telling us a lot that we didn't already know or suspect that hadn't already been leaked from insiders in the White House. You know, the, the amount of leaking that is going on from this White House, it, to me, is unprecedented. I, I mean, certainly all administrations have leaked, but this is more than just leaking policy. This is leaking details about the inner workings of the White House, personal information about the President and, and his inner circle. So in that sense, assuming this is this is true, you know, whether it's coming from Steve Bannon or, or anybody else, it's it's extremely revelatory and to my mind, unprecedented for this early in any presidential administration.
1: Right, in the tell all book. And yeah. and it's it's just it's just the style is so quirky. I mean he has, you know uh a, a dinner party that's taking place, and Roger Ailes is there, and all, all Steve Bannon's there, and it turns out the dinner party—it's not revealed in the book—was actually at his, his own home. Right. You know, there are all those kinds of things that I just think are so um, bizarre. And then he also refers to, him, to himself in the third person, as right. occasionally, as the journalist. And, and I'm and like, like, and I was just like, ugh.
3: And, and this- Something Wolf has done before in his in his previous life, and you know, it, and I guess in a way that's what makes this extremely unusual because it's not a typical Washington insider tell-all book. It's very much more in the in the realm of the kinds of again books that a Kitty Kelly would write, the sort of New Yorker insider. And um, I think that's part of the thing that's so unsettling about this because, as with so much about the Trump presidency, it doesn't fit the mold, even for a tell-all book.
1: Right. Um, it, it also um, it, it it really is an extraordinary thing because it does seem that he did have a lot of access. But then so many people are denying that that, that some of the quotes are accurate, although I don't think Steve Bannon is um, in terms of, uh, you know, how the book is being seen or, you know, going forward. What happens here? I mean, does the president survive this? I th- well, I mean, I,
3: I think for me, and I always look at these questions through a legal lens to a certain extent. I mean, the the non-denial or the denial denials or whatever they are, a lot's going to depend on whether Wolf has the notes and the tapes that he claims that he has. And, you know, I, we don't know yet. Uh, he's saying he does, and until there's proof to the contrary, I'm going to assume that that's the case. And, and if that's the case, then that's going to prove the Accuracy of, of what he's reported—not necessarily the truth of it, but the accuracy in the sense that this is what people told him—and that is that you know again that's the interesting part about all this because you don't really know who's telling the truth in all of these situations, and even if he's accurately reporting what he's told, it, it still may not be the truth. And then there's of course his threats to sue uh, Wolf and Bannon uh, for libel and under a variety of other legal theories and. I personally would would predict that the suit against the publisher is, is not likely to be successful. It's probably not even going to go forward. His suit against Bannon is another question because he's got claims based on things like breach of contract breach of confidentiality that might not have the same first amendment protections that the rest of the book would have
1: you, you mean that, that Bannon and, and president trump is is well known for re- requesting people that work for him to sign confidentiality agreements
3: right so, so that
1: that might be an avenue because isn't it isn't it awfully difficult to win a libel suit Against somebody who is a public figure, it
3: it is virtually impossible for a public official. Because I mean, you know, Trump's not just a public figure anymore; he's a public official. He's the president of the United States. So we've got the New York Times versus Sullivan standard on steroids when we're talking about the president of the United States. He would have to prove knowledge of falsity or reckless disregard for the truth, and. To my mind, um, the, the way this book has been couched, it's been um, put together very carefully so that there is the ability to say, I'm accurately reporting what I was told and I have no reason to believe that it was not true. And the other piece of it is that if President Trump were to go forward with this, he would have to submit to all kinds of pretrial discovery, depositions, being forced to produce documents. Um, you know, I can't imagine that he would want to subject himself and his administration to that.
1: Right. And, and you know, one of the things that I thought was so remarkable about the book – I don't think I've ever read a book where one of the people that is thanked – is the libel lawyer? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I which I, I've never seen that before. But well, my wife literally thanks the libel lawyer. Well,
3: you have to know that a book like this would have had to been very thoroughly vetted um, by a lawyer yeah. for the publishing company, because even given the protection of New York Times versus Sullivan, the point is there are a lot of other people that are mentioned in the book who might not uh, rise to the level of being a public figure, a public official, and and might be better able to bring a plausible libel oh. suit. So I'm sure this the lawyer lawyers looked at this book very carefully.
1: All right. We have to take a very quick break, Jane. I'd love it if you could stick around because I do want to ask you, when you you teach young people who want to be journalists, your thoughts about the remarkable developments of all of these extremely well-known journalists, uh, both in print and in television, who have uh, had to leave or quit or resign because of the sexual assault allegations against them. So uh, we'll, we'll pick that up with Jane Kirkley after this on News Radio 830 WCC.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This
1: is May Murphy along with Professor Jane Kirkley from the University of Minnesota, both the Law School and School of Journalism. What, what, what are your thoughts about this sort of wave of prominent – journalists, both in in print and in television, who've had to resign or step down or take a leave because of these allegations of harassment?
3: Well, I guess I have two thoughts. I mean, one is that I think, you know, as much as those of us in the journalism business might want to think otherwise, it, we are as vulnerable to, uh, you know, abuse of power, abuse of, uh, you know, uh, economic authority, all kinds of things, as as any other industry. We'd like to think that that's not so, but, uh, you know, the reality is that, that it is the case. So I think I'm not really shocked or surprised by this. I'm sorry. I'm disappointed to see it, but but there it is. What I think is important, though, is that we're seeing uh, the media organizations respond to these accusations and take steps that they deem appropriate. Um, in other words, they're not just in the position of reporting about other industries. They're looking at their own. Having said all that, though, as a lawyer, I've got to say that I do worry a little bit about uh, what appears to be, because so many of the companies have been somewhat circumspect about exactly how and what kind of investigations they've conducted. I'm a little concerned about there being sort of knee-jerk reactions to accusations without a thorough investigation um, again i have no specific examples i'm not pointing a finger at anybody but it seems to me that here in the united states we do have a history of kind of going into a, a frenzied reaction against injustice which you know is, is is a great thing in some respects but it can also mean that people can be hurt uh... in situations where there's really not adequate uh... evidence to justify it so um, and and that I'm not limiting just to the media industry. I would say that across the board.
1: All right. Well, I think I think I do agree with you, and I, and I do think, you know, especially well it, it, in print as well, but especially in in the the ones involving you know sort of these major stars at the network level like Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, it really shows you that that there really is a double standard in terms of quote the ultimate stars and and the power they wield, the influence they wield. Their ability to, to actually make or break careers.
3: It, it's really uh, distressing to learn, isn't it? Because you'd like to think that people that that you know live in and die professionally by the First Amendment would uphold uh, you know standards of, of good practice uh, all the way across the board. But again, it's it's disappointing to see that that isn't always the case. On the other hand, I think we have to remember that there are a lot of people in the industry who you know do act appropriately, um, and I think the the. Reaction to uh, what I would consider to be the outliers um, is, you know, is is, is a sign that, that journalists do try to act ethically in these situations.
1: Right. And I just, I can't imagine anybody at, at you know, WCCO TV or radio acting in, in that fashion. I just can't. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, we all go through, you know, training and it's just obviously I, I hope that there's really a hard look at these upper levels of people who are you know, making these multimillion-dollar salaries that have all this kind of power and the, the repercussions and the kinds of workforce that they're creating and, and the, the examples that, that they are providing. So, Jane Kirtley, thank you so much for joining me tonight.
3: Thank you, Esme. My pleasure.
1: Absolutely. It is always a pleasure. She is Jane Kirtley uh, from the School of Journalism, Mass Communications, and also the University of Minnesota Law School. A uh, fascinating perspective there. All right, folks. Much more ahead. We're going to talk with a ve- about a very interesting program to help sexual assault victims coming up next.
0: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s. You better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch